0: It's great to see you all. So um, my name's Phil. And I'm part of the leadership team here at Jubilee. And it's an absolute privilege to um, come this morning and to bring you the next part of our series on parables. And so far we've looked at the um, the wise and the foolish builder. And the parable of um, the lost son, which has been absolutely brilliant. And, and today, we're going to continue um, looking at parables. Now, I'm, it's very cold, so I'm going to start really slow. And hopefully, we'll pick up momentum as we, as we go along. But um, we're going to start by looking at the parables. So if you've got a Bible, um, flick through to Matthew 13. And we're going to be reading just two verses so uh, verse 44 oh sorry 44 to 46 yeah so here we go so the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field and when a man found it he hid it again and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field so that's one parable right. and then the next one again says Jesus, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you that um, your word is, is so profound and that you speak to us in so many different ways on so many different levels. Pray, Father God, that each one of us would have hearts open to hear what your word is saying this morning, that we might be changed and that we might come to a a deeper and a closer walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you know, this morning already we've been um, singing a lot about, um, we've been talking about kings and, and throne rooms and heaven and, and all of that stuff, and, and it's really helpful for me, um, coming and bringing this message, because that's really what I want to talk a lot about today. This, this, this kingdom that Jesus is talking about, he's, he's, des- he's describing something that he wants us to, to get a glimpse of, and, and I love it when it says in the scriptures, the kingdom of heaven is like, it's a bit like, um, it's a bit like holding a diamond, and trying to describe it, and you're looking at it from lots of different angles, and as you, as you describe in different facets, you, you get a fuller picture of what it's like. The kingdom is, is, is multifaceted. There's so much to the kingdom, so much depth to the kingdom, and, and Jesus is trying to um, describe to, the, to people what the kingdom is like, and he's using things that we can understand to do that. But I want to start off by really looking at... Um, this phrase, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, um, in Matthew you, you will only ever hear um, the words "kingdom of heaven," and in the rest of the gospels, quite often it's the kingdom of God. And are they are they both the same? Is the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven the same thing? Well, yes, they are. And the reason that Matthew is is really. Um, Using this phrase, kingdom of heaven, is because Matthew's gospel was predominantly written for the Jews. And the Jews were, were really, really careful not to take the name of God on their lips. And so to stop them um, blaspheming God, right, and, and taking the Lord's name in vain, they, they very rarely spoke the word of God. And so the, um, Matthew puts in kingdom of heaven instead of kingdom of God for that reason. You see, if they don't mention God, then they can't use his name in vain. Simple as that. Now, it's a bit like Ann Libby Road bus lanes. Just so that I can describe it. So, Debbie and I have um, an argument every day, right? Okay, so this is my my philosophy is, don't ever go in the bus lane. Whatever happens, I am not going in in the lane. I don't care if there's a van parked, I, I'm not going in the bus lane. Because what will happen is, right, even on a Sunday, right, what will happen is one day I will forget, right, and I will go into the bus lane, right, when I'm not supposed to, and I'll get a fine. So, me, look, most couples argue about um, toothpaste, toilet rolls being replaced, all sorts of stuff, right. Me and Debs argue about bus lanes, right. We, no, we don't argue, we debate, about bus lanes. So it's a bit like that. And that's why, that's why Matthew changes it for the, for the kingdom of heaven. So what is the kingdom? When, when, when it mentions it in the Bible, you see, the kingdom was the, the subject that Jesus talked about the most. Out of all the things that Jesus talked about, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. The kingdom. Everything was about the kingdom. What is it? Well, he's talking about the rule and the reign of God he's not talking about realm he's talking about rule and reign we live in the united kingdom or the disunited kingdom as it is at the moment and um, the disunited kingdom is a realm and I know that we sing in the, um, the national anthem that long to reign over us but the truth is, is that Queen Elizabeth doesn't actually reign over us if we have a parliament and crazy and if we have a house of lords as well Right? They're the ones that kind of like rule over us. They're the ones that set the laws. She's just like a figurehead. But in ancient times, kings and queens were, were sovereigns. They, they ruled uh, and they, they had rule, reign and realm. Um, it's not like that now. But Jesus isn't talking about realm. He's not talking about a physical place. He's talking about the rule and the reign of God in, in people's lives. And that's where the Jews made a mistake because when Jesus came, they thought that they were going to create a, you know, a new Israel. They were going to put Jesus on the throne and Jesus was going to be king and they were going to boot the Romans out and they were going to establish this, this Israel. But Jesus didn't come to bring that sort of kingdom. He, bring, he came to bring a kingdom that involves a change in people's hearts. That's the kingdom that he was interested in people, not in in country and the kingdom is um, I want you to hear this if you're writing notes I want you to hear this the kingdom is present and future the kingdom is present and future the kingdom is now and it's not yet and I want to explain that to you a little bit when Jesus died on the cross right the kingdom came the temple curtain was torn from top to two. There was free access to the Father. The, the kingdom of God came. It says that um, um, rocks split. Dead people came back to life and went walking around in Jerusalem. It was a wild time. Right? The kingdom came. Imagine if it happened in Hull, we'd be well freaked. But that's what happened. The kingdom came and things changed forevermore things changed because the kingdom had come but the kingdom has not come yet in all of its power we see the kingdom of God breaking in you know when I got saved the kingdom of God broke into my life when people have been saved over the last few weeks in jubilee church hallelujah yeah then that's because the kingdom has come the kingdom has broken in and people have handed their lives over to Christ that's the breaking in of the kingdom when we cast out demons, when we, when, we, when we pray for the sick and the sick get healed, that's the breaking in of the kingdom. And it's about the rule and the reign of Christ coming into people's lives. Jesus said um, in John 3, 3-5, to Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. You cannot see the kingdom unless you enter into this relationship with Christ. Unless you receive Christ, you can't see this kingdom. It makes no sense. It's craziness. Luke 17, 20 to 21, Jesus says, once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom is not something that can be observed. Nor will people say, say, here it is or there it is because the kingdom of God is within you. So we are people that carry the kingdom. And when the kingdom comes, things change. So sometimes when we pray for the sick, yeah, God breaks in and they get healed. That's the coming of the kingdom. And sometimes they don't. Now I know that some people believe that the kingdom has already come in all of its fullness and and then everybody should be um, rich and prosperous and drive a Lamborghini and um, never get sick, but that's complete nonsense. I don't see that. I mean, tell me, tell me somebody who you know, has a perfect life and with complete prosperity. and you know, I don't believe that. But what I do see is I do see that um, people of God um, being filled with the Spirit, with the, the kingdom of God breaking in. And so the, 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 the kingdom to come breaks in now. We borrow from tomorrow for today. We have an inheritance kept safe in heaven for us. So when Jesus is talking about the kingdom, that's what he's talking about. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Now it was pretty common in, in those days that you know, they didn't have like TSB in that west on the corner. You know, if you had a bit of money or you had some treasure, you would kind of like find somewhere to stash it. And like, you know, maybe under the bed want like the smartest place because if, um, you know, somebody was to break into your house, that's probably the first place they'd look. So they would, um, they would find a field, they would, they would mark out a plot, and they would, they would put their treasure in the field. And of course, um, you know, people didn't live that long in those days. So, you know, it could be that, you know, you'd buried your treasure and then you'd gone on a journey and you'd died and you'd not told anybody where your treasure was because you didn't trust anyone. And so the treasure would be left buried and, and then somebody would come along and find it. And that's what Jesus is kind of like alluding to here that um, this treasure has been hidden in a field. Um, again, referring to things that people couldn't understand at the time. And then it says that this man. Um, What was he doing in the field? Was he he working in the field? Was he just walking across the field? We don't know. The parables are not there for us to kind of like dig into lots and lots of detail. They're there to give us an overall picture. But, you know, um, he found this treasure. Now, and then it says that in his joy, now I don't want you to miss the joy. Because the truth is, is that nobody ever finds Treasure, and he's grumpy about it. Even, just think about the grumpiest person you know. and Don't say the person sitting next to you. Right? Just think about the grump, even the grumpiest person, right, would not find treasure and be like, oh God, treasure. You know, like a teenager at like, you know, eight o'clock on the morning, you know, oh, treasure, great. You know, everybody, right, you know, the, this concept of treasure is in like nearly every movie, isn't it, you know? Um, you know. I was going to put a picture of Johnny Depp, but I decided not to. But, you know, um, in his joy, right, in his joy, when he found it, in his joy, he went and, and, and sold a few things. No, he went and sold everything he had. He went, he went and sold everything he had. He, he gave up everything, everything to get this treasure. Everything. The kingdom is of such value and of indescribable worth that when you find it, you be willing to give up everything for it so that you get that, so you get the kingdom. Don't miss the joy. He didn't do it in a grumpy way, begrudgingly, Because he thought he would better do it because it was a smart thing. He did it in his joy. In joy. Joy, joy, joy. Indescribable joy. Because what he was getting was far greater than what he was giving up. Make that note in your brain. What he was getting was a far greater worth than what he was giving up. And he wasn't a man that was rich. Um, He didn't have means to, um, you know, get get this this treasure easily. He had to sell everything he had to get this field. Jesus says in, in, in Matthew 5, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It starts with us being bankrupt and having nothing to really offer God that we could receive the kingdom. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So this treasure was of immense, immense value. And then Jesus, to to put another spin on it, he he describes the pearl. The merchant um, looking for pearls. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls, And when he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. This was a man who knew what a good pearl looked like. This was a man who was experienced and had spent his his whole life dealing in pearls and pearls in the ancient world were worth far more than they are today. Cleopatra um, supposedly got pearls off Mark Antony and um, they reckoned that This one pearl was worth um, 25 million denarii, which um, translated into our money is about 28 million quid. One pearl. It's a serious pearl. Pearl of of exceptional value. Maybe perfect in its, its luster and its weight and its size. And it was of great value. And this merchant was looking for such a pearl as this, and he found one. And then he went and sold everything, everything so that he could get this pearl. So what's the difference between these two parables? Because they look the same, don't they? Well, the difference is really that um, in these two parables, um, the first guy comes across the treasure. He isn't particularly looking for treasure. He hasn't got his metal detector out. He doesn't say that, you know, he had like some kind of, um, you know, ancient metal detector looking for treasure. In the field, he just came across it. And then the merchant, well, he was looking. He was looking. He was searching for fine pearls. He was on the hunt. And that's, that describes some of us, doesn't it? Some of us just come across the kingdom, you know, we're just like, we're, you know, we're what, going on through our lives and all of a sudden Jesus just breaks in and wow, that's it. You know, we, we receive Christ and It's exciting. For other people, they spend a lot of time looking and searching and maybe end up going through all sorts of different like, religious systems before they finally discover the pearl, which is Jesus. And in our story, Jesus is the treasure and Jesus is the pearl. And he is of greater value than you could ever possibly imagine. Paul um, kind of sums up these these two parables um, in Philippians 3, so that's Philippians 3, 7 to 11. And he says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. It always comes through faith. We receive the kingdom through faith. And Paul here is describing, he's saying you know like I've been been doing it wrong all these years. I've I've spent my whole life um, soaking myself in the scriptures, in Judaism. I've I've, I've spent all of my energy and all of my time doing this and I've come to the point where I've realized that it's not worth anything compared to knowing Christ. Compared to knowing Christ, it doesn't mean anything. It's not worth anything. There is nothing of greater value than the kingdom. If you have to give up everything to attain it even giving up life itself then it's worth it. I'll say that again. There is nothing of greater value than the kingdom. If you have to give up everything to attain it, even life itself then it's worth it. Thousands of People have been martyred for their faith. Where they've they've made that calculation, and they've said yes to the kingdom of God, yes to Jesus, and no, no to the things of this world. It's a heavy call, but that's the call that God um, puts on our lives. It's like Dan was saying the other way. I loved it what you were saying about um, um, gym membership. Know with God, there's no like, there's no second, there's no um, half-hearted measures. You know, it's like all in. It's an all in, all in, all in, and um, it's exactly what Jesus is saying here. It's all in. These two people had to give up everything for the kingdom, so that they might receive it. What about you? Where are you this morning? Because preaching to the Word, you know, it's like there's no there's not much point to it unless it actually has an impact on our lives. And my 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 hope and my desire this morning is that each one of us, every single one of us here, just takes that step closer to Christ. We can all step closer. Maybe you sat here and um, you had a call in your life once that you never fulfilled. Maybe this is the morning when you can re- reignite and rekindle that, where you can again step into the things of God, where you can say, "Yes, yes, I'm coming, Jesus, I'm coming. I'm gonna, I'm gonna live my life for you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna lay it all down for you." Yes, to Jesus. What does it look like when we receive the kingdom? Well, we're challenged to give up our tiny little vision and small ambitions. We're challenged to think in a different way and to see things in a different way. We end, up, we end up doing things that we wouldn't normally have done. We end up fostering children or caring for the poor or not being interested in particularly our own personal bank account. We, we move from being and people that are self-centered have been people that are Christ-centered because the kingdom has come, because there's been a change. The kingdom is a bigger vision and a bigger purpose for our lives. Maybe you don't know where you're going. Maybe you've not got a purpose in life yet. Maybe this is the morning that God will speak to you to give you that. Maybe this will be the morning that he calls you. Um, C.S. Lewis, in his book, Um, Mere Christianity, um, asks us to imagine ourselves as a living house. A living house. So imagine yourself as a living house. And, And God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps, you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right, he's stopping the leaking roof, and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, and so you were not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that really hurts and doesn't seem to make any sense. What on earth he's got up to? The explanation is that he's building a different type of house. The one of, from the one that you thought of, throwing up a new wing, putting in an extra floor, running up towers, making courtyards... You thought that you were building a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace, because he himself intends to live there. He himself intends to live there. I love what Carl was saying, you know. We often take on board things that people have said over us, and um, you know, self-worth is very, very important. Jesus is the one that gives you self-life. Jesus is the one that gives you meaning. Jesus is the one that changes your life. See, that the house that Jesus is building you into is, is so much greater than, than your vision. His, his vision for our lives is to build this palace that he wants to come and live in. It's greater. We give up our limited thinking, our small vision, and receive his. 1 Corinthians 2 9 says, However, it is written, what no eye has seen, and what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. I never expected to do hardly any of the things that I've done in my life as a Christian. I never expected that I would meet so many wonderful people. I never expected to see um, the amazing um, transformational power of the the gospel in people's lives around me. I never expected to see my 88-year-old grandma receive Christ. But she did, as the kingdom came. Glorious things, wonderful things that God can do through us when we just put our hand in his. We change our focus. When we receive Christ, our focus changes. For me, I went from being a head chef in a restaurant that was really successful um, to giving it all up. I'd spent all my life working towards this point of being head chef. And the moment I received it, I came to Christ and had to give it all up. I spent more time at work talking about Jesus than I did about recipes and food and It was crazy. I couldn't go anywhere without telling people about Jesus because I was just so excited about Jesus. And God um, called Debbie and I when, you know, we had two children under the age of two. Um, Most of our family were Christians and God says, right, I want you to give give up your job and I want you to work for me full time. Being an evangelist, going around prisons and schools and telling people about me. And trust me and I will look after you. And what happened was God used to prompt people's hearts um, and they would be going around Asda and God would speak to them and say, go and take Phil and Debbie some shopping. And they'd come and bring me some shopping. Or somebody else in another part of the country who'd heard about us would say, God would say to them, send Phil and Debbie 50 quid and I would get 50 quid through the post. And um, and it went on like that and, and all these different people didn't know who was who was sending, but we did because we were receiving it and each week it would each month it was enough to cover the mortgage and to look after the kids. And in my great joy, not begrudgingly, in my great joy, I did that because um, as far as I was concerned, there was nothing greater, and there is still nothing greater in my life than Jesus. The way things are have changed a little for me, but there is still nothing greater in my life than Jesus. And he can be completely trusted in everything, when you come to Christ, the treasure, the treasure of Jesus is greater than anything else, there is nothing greater than the treasure of Jesus, nothing, do you know in this country, years gone by, you know, we, this country's got a lot of things wrong, our history's quite nasty, really. But one of the things that we got right is that, you know, on the back of several revivals, we sent out missionaries all over the world to take the gospel. There was a movement of missionaries um, called One Way Missionaries. And they were sent with, a, with a, a coffin and a Bible and their belongings in the coffin. And many of them only lasted three months on the mission field before they become susceptible to tropical diseases or persecution. But scores and scores and scores of of men and women left this, this, this nation to go and take the gospel all over the world. They were pouring out of this country, many of them never returning. Peter Milne was one of those missionaries. He went to a tribe of... Um, cannibals in a place called the New Hebrides, Van Vanatu. All the other missionaries to this tribe had been martyred, but Mill didn't shrink back into save Christianity. He saved in the New Hebrides for more than 50 years, and the tribe buried him and wrote the following words on his tombstone: "When he came, there was no light when he left. There was no darkness. 50 years. I love that. I love that. That's a life well spent. Amy Carmichael, missionary to um, Sri Lanka and, and India, first sets off, in, a young girl in her 20s sets off to, to go to Japan for 15 months where she gets terribly ill. And then, and then sets off for Sri Lanka and then to India. She stays 55 years. She, she holds the record for the missionary that was on the mission field for the longest. Even now, 55 years without furlough, without coming back, without visiting her family in Ireland. A young girl, awesome. Why? Because her treasure was Jesus. That was the most important thing. And CT stood I love C.T. Stud. I I read a lot of stuff about missionaries, so I'm sorry about that, but I love it. C.T. Studd, English cricketer, Cambridge graduate, comes to faith through um, the preaching of Moody and then feels the prompting of God to go on the mission field and and serves God in China and in India and in Africa. And, and, And before he went, he was left this big inheritance of money and he gives it all away to George Muller who was running an orphanage caring for children. Love it, so that, so that it wouldn't rest on him, so that the, the, you know, he wasn't relying on his money, he was relying on God's money. He gave it all away, and, and then it was discovered that there was a little bit left over, so he gave that away to his wife. And she didn't keep it either, and she gave it away to another mission. Radical, crazy um, love for Christ that they would lay down their lives. We are the same church. We are the same people. We have the same spirit as those those guys. We are no different. We're no different. The same blood, the same oxygen, you know, the same Jesus Christ. And we need to go to the nations of this world. There are many dark places that need the gospel. They need the gospel. The gospel's got to go. At any cost, the gospel's got to go. Jen's going to come and read us a quick story before I, I stop.
1: The Romans were mostly heathen but Blandina's mistress was a Christian. She told Blandina about Jesus and his cross and taught her to love Jesus, her saviour. Rome would not let any of the people worship or pray to Jesus or to God, so they cut off the mistress's head and put Blandina in prison. They said to her that she must give up her Christianity You Christians are wicked people, they said. You do bad things and you will not pray to the gods of Rome. They said, you are only a slave girl. You have no right to worship Jesus if Rome tells you to worship the gods of Rome. Now, be sensible. If you come to the temple where our gods are worshipped, and if you burn incense to the gods, we will set you free and not punish you. I cannot do that, said Belinda Blandina. Jesus is my God and Saviour. He would be grieved if I denied him. We Christians, we love God, the Creator, and do no harm, and we cannot worship false gods. Do you defy the Roman Empire and the Roman Emperor? We shall soon teach you how to obey your superiors. So poor, brave, faithful Blandina was taken into a prison cell and cruelly whipped till her back was covered with blood. But her persecutors didn't want to kill her. They wanted to break her will and make her obey Rome. And a deep joy and peace filled the slave girl's heart as she prayed, thy will be done. And how long did the battle last? For two weeks at least. Every day she was visited by the cruel servants of wicked Rome and she was punished and tortured with terrible cruelty. But she was strengthened by Jesus and she would not give in. They took her to the arena to see other Christians being tormented and killed. The arena was in the interior of an immense amphitheatre which held more than 10,000 people who came to see the Christians being killed. There was a dreadful iron chair, heated red hot, and the Christians were made to sit in it till they nearly died. Then, they were put into a net and flung into the arena where there were lions and tigers hungry to eat them. If the lions and tigers would not touch them, which often happened, a wild bull was put in and many Christians were gored to death by the bull. On the last day of the contests in the amphitheatre, Blandina was again brought in with Ponticus a boy of about 15. Every day they had been brought to witness the sufferings of others and pressed to deny their faith and swear by idols. Ponticus died first and Blandina remained the last. She had encouraged many others and saw them go on before her to Jesus. Now she was ready to hasten after them she faced her death rejoicing, as if being called to a marriage feast rather than to wild beasts. The report stated, after the scourging, after the wild beasts, after the roasting seat, she was finally enclosed in a net and thrown before a bull. And having been tossed about by the animal, but feeling none of the things which were happening to her, on account of her hope and firm hold upon what had been entrusted to her and her communion with Christ, she also was sacrificed.
0: Thanks, Jane. What courage. What an inspirational story of a a young girl not a mature man, a young girl. How was she able to overcome? Because her treasure was Jesus. Because the most important thing in her life was Christ. She'd, she'd counted the cost and she'd understood that, that this, this Jesus, this kingdom was of greater value. Matthew 24, 14 says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. When we pray, come, Lord Jesus, come. And we do want Jesus to come. We're living in an evil times. This is The Bible describes this time as the present evil age. It's, it's, it's terrible. We want Jesus to come and um, but before he comes the gospel must be preached into all the nations of the earth it's Jesus himself speaking and then the end will come and my challenge to you this morning each one of you is what are we going to do about it would you like to stand